Welcome back, Pocket Change listeners. I am super excited today. A really dear friend of mine, uh, Diane Fiogesund, is here to join us and talk about all things. And, you know, the interesting thing about Diane is that she is a community activist, a mother, a nurse, a wife. Um, she's part of multiple communities and lends her voices to many different causes and um, opportunities for us to drive sustainable change in a number of areas in our country. So, uh, I mean, really, it just goes without saying that you're just a generally a good human and uh, a participant in society. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's, you know, it's wonderful to have you here. And, you know, Diane, you and I, it's so funny, like, I think like, a a great majority of the people that I have in my social network that I've, you know, in in grew grown relationships with, I've actually met on Twitter. Yeah, that's how we Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, we, we met on Twitter and then uh, we hung out a couple times. I think we probably went to a couple of uh, those weird tweet ups together. I yeah, yeah, I think we did. I don't know if we did or I think we just made our own like rollerblading and running along that path. And I don't feel like I attended a lot of the tweet ups with you. I know you attended some and I attended some, but I feel like they we just met up on our own. Yeah, we did. We, well, we worked out a lot. We we trained yeah. together for a couple of a couple of times there, and we uh, we definitely rollerbladed. We ran. <laughs> yeah, we were we the, the Weight Watchers. The meetings. Yeah, we, we were the bad kids and Weight Watchers. We sat in the back corner and <laughs> <laughs> always got in trouble for joking around. Are you guys listening back there? And they throw that that ball to us. Tell us what you achieved this week. Oh, well, there was always something. We did achieve a lot back then. We did. You're did. still achieving. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> so are you. Yeah. Yeah. Just well, no more, no more watchers. No, me neither. I, uh, you know, I go. We all went down a different path. I think it was a really great um, starting point, though, yeah. to kind of discover who we were and where we wanted to go. It gives us gave a, it helped give me the tools that I know I need to eat better. Well, and I mean, let's be honest, uh, you know, you have a really busy lifestyle and it was a really simplistic um, way of thinking and behaving in terms of getting nutrition on track because you have a couple of children. Five. (laughs) I figured out what caused it and I was like, ooh, that hurt. I didn't like that. (laughs) Sorry? I figured out what caused it and I was like, ooh, I didn't like that. Can I just have (laughs) another jersey, please? I remember I went to a job interview back in like the recession, kind of 07, 08, 09 kind of thing. Things were really bad. Um, Ruth and I relocated from the Yukon down here in 08. And I had this uh, job interview. I think it was the the fall of 08 or even the spring of 09. And uh, I did 30. It was February of 09. I did 36 job interviews over the the time of six weeks. Because of the 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 depth of my resume and things like that at the time I was just applying on anything I just got to get milk on the table right and uh, I could not like I couldn't get a job they were either offered to other people I was overqualified we decided to source the role from internal um, we abolished the the role because it just didn't seem logical like it was terrible but I went to this one interview and I made it through the first one and they said okay well, we want you to come back for a second interview and I was really amped it was like yeah. Um, financial investments or something like this and uh, this guy goes so 
And it was weird because actually the, the woman who I would have been replacing, I, I went to junior high with her in the oh. UK. So weird, right? Yeah. And so the guy was sitting there and he goes, so he goes um, young and, you know, kind of vibrant. And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, so do you have children? Are you uh, planning on having more? And I said, well, I said, you're not actually allowed to ask, ask that. that. Yeah. And I said, yes, and absolutely not. And he kind of looks at me, he goes, what, what do you mean you wouldn't? You're not, you're, you're so young. Like, why aren't you planning on having more kids? And I looked at him and I said, like, well, when you're in the dark and you stub your toe, do you go back and do it a second time? And he, I mean, no. And I said, well, why not? And he goes, well, it would hurt. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. Like, if you've been stubbed your toe twice, why would I do that twice? <laughs> yeah. And then for me, all I wanted was a house full of babies. And now you got it. Well, now grandbabies, one, but not in my house. But yeah, there's one grandbaby. That's exciting. And you guys celebrated a wedding? Yep. My daughter just got married to the father of her baby. And a beautiful October 1st beach wedding in Saskatchewan, like near Lloyd, Lloydminster. Like you wouldn't expect the weather to be on the beach. Like it was 21 degrees, I think, and sunny and it was perfect. It was perfect. I, yeah, I had the best day. It was from the morning we got up, got ready, and did the wedding and the photos and the ceremony or the reception, tons of dancing. And it was only a small wedding, I think 30 people, including the bridal party, because it was in a cabin, you know. But yeah, it was good. And now hopefully more grandbabies, because <laughs> I'm oh. done with the babies on my end. But I definitely like snuggling. <laughs> yeah. And being able to give them back. that That's the nice thing. It's like, oh, you want mommy? Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Gigi? Okay. That's my, that's my name for grandma, Gigi. I don't, I don't feel like a grandma. That was my mom or my grandma. Yeah. So I go by Gigi. That was me. I'm going to be a Mimi. I'm not going to be a grandma. I like Mimi too, but Caprice vetoed that. My daughter. <laughs> She's like... No, mom. It's too close to mom. Because <laughs> because the sounds babies make, right? I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll just be Gigi. I like Gigi. That's fair. That's fair. And so, you know, you've been, um, I mean, obviously with your children, you've advocated for your children with, mm -hmm. with five, five kids. You know, you're, you're always on the go in terms of being their voice and being their representation and making sure that they've gotten all their needs met through the education system. And so, Poe is still fairly young and still in high school. Junior high. Junior high. I think grade eight, whatever they yeah. consider that grade eight. Yeah, they're struggling right now. Um, so we've had to move them schools because mm. they go by non-binary terms, they, them. And the school they were at last year tried to support that, but there was just severe bullying and to the point where I had to go to the school and pick my child up from the non-binary bathroom because they wouldn't come out all afternoon until I got there and took them home. And they never went back to that school. They finished at home for the last two months. Now they're in a different school. They have some rough days, but that school is much more, it's a smaller school and they have a lot more trans and non-binary kids. So, and there's a GSA that's pretty active there so they're doing much better 
but still struggles. So I think I'm going to actually reach out to Skipping Stone and get them more extensive help outside of school as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that that it presents so many challenges, and 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 I guess for for you, you've been very active in the LGBTQ plus community for a very long time since the '90s. Yeah, when I came out as bi in the '90s, but I guess it would be defined as more pansexual now. But yeah, since the '90s, mid '90s, maybe even well, early. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you were you were very active in the community here in in the Calgary area and took a very high role inside of the organization to help raise funds to put yes. um, programming in place to support LGBTQ uh, plus members, like people. Yes. I was part of the Imperial Sovereign Court of the Chinook Arch, which is a nationwide community in almost all the major cities in Canada, U.S. and Mexico has a court. We call it the court. Um, And it is on its 46th year. Yeah. I was Empress 42. So I kind of worked my way up. I started out in the lower house. It's it's much like a monarchy, right? That's the titles. That's what they're they are um, labeled after. Started out as the Archduchess, which was just more didn't have to be active, but just could participate and take on roles if I wanted. To Duchess, to Princess, and then to Empress, which is where you're kind of the figurehead for the entire year. It's your team, and you pick all the princesses and all that, and you work together as a team and raise money. And it was myself and another female as the emperor and empress. So it's the first time I think in Canada they had two female heads. Normally it's typically a gay man that in drag <laughs> that's the empress. But uh, things were changing, you know, as times change and drag changes. And so I was empress with uh, my partner, my partner in the court, Sluggo, like, Denise is her name, but we raised the most money, Calgary, in Calgary, and the prior teams we were on as well as Princess and Duke, we were successful. Each team every year just raised more and more money, which is what we want to see, more money coming in to help other organizations. So the money didn't actually go to the court. We bring that money in, and then we put we had a bursary for students that are in the LGBT community that want to further their education. We gave money to the year I reigned was Children's Wish Foundation. Wow. Sharp Foundation, which is a small foundation that helps people living with HIV, more end stage too. And HIV Community Link, which I believe has changed its name now. I'm not really a part of that all anymore. And In From the Cold was our other one. We had four. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we divvied that. We take in some to obviously pay for the expenses because we throw a big ball at the end of the year, and but mostly ticket sales and that cover that. But, yeah, we gave away just over $66,000 that we raised that year. That's incredible. And I think we were the highest in Canada at that point, which I was very proud of. But I believe Edmonton this past year, they just finished in August. I think they raised 70 something. So I'm happy to see these courts flourish and continue to support local organizations because every city that does it, it's usually for a local organization. So Edmonton has, Vancouver has a court and they support smaller, usually more in need charities. 
And so how did you find out about this? Like, I mean, until you were involved uh, and and even with Connor, our, our marketing lead, I know that you guys were actually, I think you were <clears throat> empresses at the same time. We were. Just Connor was in Vancouver, the empress in Vancouver at the time. So like, how, how do you find out about these types of things? Is it just like word of mouth through the community? Like, because I had heard nothing about this before the two of you got involved. Well, I knew about it a little bit when I lived in Vancouver, but I wasn't really that interested. It was more interested in the party and nightclub before I had children situation there. But I heard about the court there, just didn't know what it really meant. I knew there was these empresses and they sometimes came to the gay bars I was at and did charity things, but I didn't really understand. It was more when my older two kids came out um, and I got involved in supporting them. So I, I got them involved with don't even think it's still together, but it was a youth group, the Mosaic Youth Group. It might still be around. I'm not sure. For kids coming out. And my two were some of the youngest kids that came out at 10 and 11 at the time. But yeah, they were supported for several years. And through that and going to Pride and being more involved with everything that Mosaic Youth Group did, I got introduced to the community here. Reintroduced, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And kind of sucked in (laughs) like I used to just go out to support all the events and then like friends were like hey we think you could be a part of our team this year if we get on if we because usually elections are had if there's yeah like you have to go through a process to be approved and stuff and and elected or whatever so when I ran ran, I, I ran against two other people like there was someone else running for empress and then Sluggo was running against someone that was running for emperor so it was it was fun. We had a campaign. We got cookies made. We had pins made. It was, I think, a three-week campaign. Yeah, it was fun, but also terrifying because <laughs> I was like, I just worked my way up and someone's running against me because for years there hadn't been a race or just been people step forward and say, I want to do it and then go through the approval process. But the year Slug and I decided to run, there was some people who were like, yeah, we think we can beat you. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I don't like that. <laughs> but we actually won by a landslide. So <laughs> I heard rumors how much the count was. I'm not going to say, but it was good. <laughs> it was good. Well, yeah. And, and and so like for you, though, you've really been an advocate and a uh, community member, not just in the LGBTQ uh, plus community, but, you know, you, you as we kind of touched on earlier, you've always advocated for your children and making sure that their needs have always been met, yeah. whether that is, um, you know, their orientation or their identification of who they are as people, um, whether that is learning disabilities or the capabilities yeah. um, and those areas. You know, talk a little bit about um, your navigation of the system, because I think when we think about advocacy, when we think about um, participating, yeah, there's the there's the 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 part of you that goes and does the work for fun, for the benefit of the community. But what's it like working inside of systems that are intended to actually help facilitate people, but are actually a little bit oppressive? Oh, I have so much to say on that. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Like, like, as you touched on, like my son with disabilities, the 18 year old, he was born with a heart condition, which in turn caused him to have a stroke, which has affected his brain. So he doesn't function as a normal 18 year old. He's more like a 12 year old. His IQ is quite low. He will, we're working, we're going through the process of getting him put on age and, and getting supports in place for him. Yeah. So that he has 
more of a purpose in life than just staying at home, you know, like because he he can't work a normal job. He can't retain information because of his brain injury. But for school and both my sons, my other son had a um, behavioral disability that I had to struggle with with the schools. They just wanted to keep him in a regular system and they coded him and collected the funding for him. Didn't tell me that, but didn't give him the support, like didn't give him the extra worker or get him in the right programs until I found out from a friend that there are schools for kids like this or, or programs within certain schools. And then I stepped forward and started arguing with the school and found out that, yes, there is indeed, you want us to look into that for him. And I, I'm like, why weren't you doing it already? You're fighting with this kid every day who has ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder, who can't regulate his emotions. And he's at home being educated by me most of the time because you've decided he can't be there all day and you're collecting money for him. Like they do these sneaky things and don't tell you. Like I found out after that, yeah, they were collecting funding for him. That's why they worked hard to get him coded, but then we can't manage him. So he's at home. He's only here. Mornings are good. He, in the afternoon, he's had enough. Well, I work nights as a nurse. I was getting no sleep. It was affecting my job. Like it was brutal until I started putting it out there and I went to the news and I brought attention to this on all, on many accounts, like for a lot of things. But so finally, yeah, he ended up in the right program. We ended up getting support outside the school as well. There used to be an ODD clinic, which is unfortunately now shut down, which helped my son a lot. And we got him, but you know, it. if you're just listening to the school and what they tell you, you're not going to get your kids anywhere. Like you have to really investigate and figure out what's out there. And that was hard because I didn't even know where to start. I'm lucky that I had a friend whose nieces had been through that. So they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and as for other organizations, like being a female, I found especially in a gay man's organization, um, it was eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was great because it was a first. And yes, we loved having myself out there. But anytime I voiced my concern or wanted to see changes brought that are happening everywhere else in the community, I was met with a lot of the old school cis men who felt like they had achieved everything they needed. They're like, we work well with the police. We have this. We have that. I'm like, but we are the LGBTQ plus IA 2S. Like it's an umbrella and like only some of you guys are under it. Some they don't they didn't like hearing that it was a battle. I mean, I know that now the organizations are starting to steer that way, but when I first stepped up, that's what I planned on doing, and I was met with a lot of a lot of fights, a lot of battle, a lot of being told to just be the straight empress that they voted for. And I was like, when did I ever say I was straight? Can't assume these things. <laughs> like I was never straight. Nobody. Nobody asked, and I don't go around labeling it because I didn't think it mattered. But, yeah, that's kind of like it was like it was eye-opening. You know, it's a volunteer organization, and and some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. So it has kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, and I have stepped back. I will still always support the, the charities that they are involved with. 
but I'm not so much going to ever put myself in that figurehead role because that was one of the toughest years of my life. It affected my family. It affected my marriage because you are, I was working full-time nights and on my weekends off, I was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I had events. Mm-hmm. So a lot of money, time, my poor kids were being raised by my older kids and I have some regrets, you know, I proud of all the work I did. Would I do it again? Probably, but I might wait till my kids were a little bit older, like might've waited, you know, if I, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it always, regret. but, but it's the, it's the passion for service, I think is really one of the things that I think I'm most like drawn to with you is, you know, it, it's not just, um, I'm going to lend my voice and my, my time to this LGBTQ plus community, uh, I'm going to advocate for my my children. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I think about the posts that you share on social media or the, the conversations that are around even things like Indigenous rights and reconciliation, appropriate language and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, you know, you lend your voice to a lot of different causes and you have some really firm beliefs in I don't want to say equality because it's not equality, but that's really the root and the foundation of it is everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves to have health care. Everybody deserves to be educated in the way that suits their their specific need. Um, you know, and we have this this retroactive look back into our history and say, hey, we really screwed up. And mm-hmm. we have generations of trauma riddled survivors that need care, concern and support. Right. Like, that's yeah. a lot. A hundred percent. In fact, that's the next thing I'm moving on to. I just signed up to start volunteering. I believe it's with the Bear Clan Patrol. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, and they are doing, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I just signed up and they do a neighborhood, I think a free food market and there's like free clothes available to help the houseless and anybody in need. So my first shift is uh, this coming Sunday and that, yeah. So I found something like, yeah, I do believe in like, I, and that's what I wanted to teach my kids as well is like helping others. And, and I think I've done a good job though with my kids. Like they, they are good people. They want to help others. Like That's one thing Chance said to me years ago, we were out Pokemon going one night, you, you know, when that was a big trend and it was pouring rain and there was a guy outside the store where we stopped to get something. I can't remember a corner store late at night like 11 or so in the rain under a garbage bag sleeping but shivering and I didn't have any cash but we just went in and we got him a sandwich and a coffee and and we gave it to him and he thanked us and we went on our way and chances like you know I think that's one of the best things I've learned from you mom is that you can help everyone no matter how big or small like you know just to treat everyone as if they're worthy mm-hmm. well lot to him like when he said that to me he was still in high school like that meant melted my heart absolutely and I think as parents that's our number one objective is to always raise humans that we would want to spend our time with right yeah and you know um Ruth is very much the same way and you know I believe it (laughs) it's one of the things where like when we were little when she was really little um after her father and I separated um we picked up this this thing called um, 
the, well, what was it? It was an outreach van in Whitehorse. And so my girlfriends would come over on like a Friday night and we would make cookies. And in the morning we would leave them out to, you know, kind of cool. And then I'd package them up or whatever. And in the morning, Ruth would get up with me and she was only two and a half, almost three. And we would decorate the cookies together. And, you know, we would take them to the, 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 the homeless shelter where we would go, you know, same type of thing is that we we really teach our humans how to behave based off of the actions and the values that we put into, into our day to day, and it's it's really interesting. I follow this really great guy on on LinkedIn, and he's actually been on a podcast, and he takes his charitable giving to a completely different level, and he uses his corporation, which is not his corporation; he's the CEO of it, but he he's a very well known individual, and I think actually I shouldn't say that. There's actually two sets to this. There's his foundation that he has called Leaders to Give, but he's also a really well-known leader in um, the tech industry. And he's the kind of guy who, it was awesome, like when we were on the podcast talking, he said, you know, I I, I only have a high school education. I didn't go and get a master's degree or this or that or the other thing. He said, I just know how to relate to people. And I, you know, one of the really cooler things was that, you know, him and his family would go down and they would vacation in Mexico and they started to see that there were um, children who were houseless and didn't have a place to go and that were orphans. And, you know, gradually the, st- the story's there, but they, they, they gradually started to recognize that there was a need for housing for these children who whose families were away working or whose parents had died or had abandoned them. And so it's just little tiny kids. Right. And um, Started a, they did a thing at Martha's Vineyard a couple weeks ago to raise funds to build this. They are literally $100,000 shy of being able to build this amazing top-of-the-line um, home for these children. It's just it's astronomical work that he's doing. And what's really cool is that he's starting to instill these beliefs in his daughter. She comes with him to um, Mexico. She sees this. The, you know, you know, she walks and she sees these kids who don't have shoes and here she's standing with shoes and really nice clean clothes and she's on a vacation from Canada. And, you know, it's the same thing that we've always tried to instill with Ruth when we travel. We um, we traveled very robustly in her in her childhood and into her early teens. And, you know, I can remember instances of us being in California and there was a, a girl there who was actually from Canada who had let her visa lapse and was considered to be an illegal immigrant in the United States and was so scared to try and travel the border to get back to Vancouver that she was just living in California. And so we took, she was standing outside of Target and we took all of our Christmas gifts and we gave them to her to wrap while we were there because it was like, we know that this is probably not the best thing we could do, but she was really terrified of what could happen if she went to the border. And I was like, well, logically, you're just going to get transported back across and they're going to chastise you and you probably won't be allowed back. Um, or, you know, the time we were in Vegas and there was a, a, a houseless individual sitting on one of the pathways uh, crossing over the, the strip there. And the guy was sitting there and he was making... Um, he had taken like palms from the palm trees and he was making them into roses for a dollar each. And so he made one for Ruth really quickly and spray painted it and handed it off to her. And, you know, she was so proud of herself that she took $5 out of her wallet and gave it to him instead of just the one. And it's just, I think the ability to create a community of like-minded individuals that we influence to do the right thing, to make the right decision, to continue to advocate and not to turn our back on it because the conversation is dragging on too long or, um, you know, it's too messy or it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's that one small thing because really small things add up to really big measures. 
Yeah. Yep. It's true. It's so true. Um, and it starts with all of us and how we raise our kids, you know, because they're the future. They're the ones that are going to be carrying this on after we're gone or when we're not able to. And um, I'm just hoping that done the right thing but I don't like I mean as much as I say I kind of regret that year well several years but at the same time my kids saw how hard I worked and for what they were at the they were at my ball like it's, it's called a step down so they got to see you know why I was away so much and what the, what it went to and that was good for them. You know, they saw, they saw us give the checks away because that's when we give the checks away to the charities is at the ball. And, and if the ball makes any more money, which ours did, then we give more money away after it's all, you know, tallied up after the hotels paid. And, but yeah, so like, I, I feel like I taught those skills to my kids as well, but I just regret the time that I did it because it took so much away from them. And some of it was very, toxic for me and I know I was toxic too in, in that year like it was hard to be around hard to deal with because I was so focused and stressed <laughs> like I don't handle stress well and there was deadline every week deadline after deadline and I was like I'm a procrastinator so <laughs> it was a lot of work well and I think the, the thing too though is that you know as women, so you, you put this into perspective, right? Put us in a petri dish and, you know, you have a partner, like a spouse, you've got, you know, you have your um, your children, you have your career as a nurse, you have your own, per- like, it's, I think it's really hard not to feel guilt when you're investing and in doing something that's either for the greater good or for yourself, right? Like, I think that becomes really challenging. Yeah, for the greater good. But I felt like my kids and my family got neglected. That's the hard part, right? Is I'm kind of seeing some of the effects now, you know, now that they're a bit older and like it was even joked at Caprice's wedding and I missed it because I was upstairs bathing the baby because we needed to try and keep him on a routine so he'd go to sleep. And uh, I missed my 13 year old speech because they were one of the people of honor at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And in it, I guess Poe said to Caprice, yeah, you pretty much raised me. No, I think you really did raise me. <laughs> I'm like, made me happy and laugh when I heard that after. But at the same time, it broke my heart just a little. It's like, yeah, siblings aren't supposed to raise each other, you know. So, like, you just, hindsight's twenty twenty. I would have probably still done it. I probably would have just waited a few years till my kids were more self-sufficient. Well, but I think it's also the the resilience of you as an individual, right? So talk a little bit about where that comes from. Like, where did you pick up the ability to get poked in the eye as many times as you have been? Because let's be honest, I mean, when you're using your voice as often as you use your voice, you know, people are going to poke you in the in the eye, sometimes punch you in the face, whether not physically, but you know what I mean? It's so where did that come from? The foundation of who you are, you know? When you think back to your childhood, when you think back to your early, early adolescence, what formed you into this person who who believes the things that you do and behaves the way that you do? I think because I was pretty, I was, I was bullied a lot as a kid. Um, I was raised by a mother that 
would be most likely labeled a narcissist or she wasn't neglectful in the terms like the care was there, but the emotional support was not there. Mm-hmm. When I got bullied, it's like, oh, just brush it off. Like there was no real advocacy for me, no protection. So I think I wanted to become the person that I needed growing up. I know I think I've heard that a lot lately on TikTok and stuff, but it makes so much sense. It's like, yeah, I wanted to be the person that stood up for others because I had no one standing up for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where it all started. That's why I'm mama bear for my kids at school or getting Sean on it because he's now in the school system. He works for the school board. So he knows more the ins and outs. And and quite often when there's issues that can be handled just, you know, emails or phone calls. He does that. But if it's like it gets severe, I will step in <laughs> because it's like, no. But, yeah, I just think that's where it started. And yeah. I feel I see so many injustices in the world and I want to help. Like, you know, trans rights. Every child matters. Like, there's so many organizations I support. And would advocate for and help whether it's behind the scenes financially or whatever. Like I'm always donating. I just don't put it out there publicly. Nobody needs to know, you know, it's not why we do it. We don't do it for the cookies or the pat on the back. We do it because we know we're trying to help others. And I think that's a really important part too, is, you know, taking our learnings of the past and applying them to our current and our future. And in trying to be able, not to predict the future, but to at least steer the course into a different pathway. And, you know, if we look at, um, you know, truth and reconciliation and, you know, today, the day of recording, I think is the day of action for murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls and two-spirited individuals. And so I definitely do want to acknowledge that. Um, We talk a lot. We have governments that talk a lot. We have really really great reports. We have paid people hundreds of thousands of dollars to read these reports, to type these reports, to print these reports, to collate them, distribute them. And I I struggle with the collective action. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of pacification from our government. Well, look, we're acknowledging it. We gave you a day that should make you happy, but with no real action. Yeah, the truth and reconciliation reports out there, but how many of the things have been met? Not a lot. How many Indigenous communities have got their clean drinking water? Permanently, even. Some have temporarily, I believe I've heard lately, but it needs to be a permanent solution because if this was happening in white communities, it would it would be dealt with. 100%. And, and other minority, to be honest with you. Yeah, any minority. And yeah, there's just uh, <laughs> there's just so much. And sometimes I get overwhelmed, but you know what? I just got to put my head down and help where I can. That's kind of how I see it. Well, and I think at the end of the day, when we look in the mirror and we see the person staring back, did we do the best that we could, right? It comes back to those, even the very basics of the four agreements and, you know, be impeccable with your word. And um, the one that really resonates with me is do your best, right? And some days my best is really, really phenomenal. And some days my best is just, me getting out and patting somebody on the back or smiling at somebody when I pass them in the grocery store. Um, Cause some days I can't be yesterday's best. We're human, right? Like we have bad days too. 
But if we can, like you said, give a little bit of a best somewhere, like you said, a pat on the back or even a smile or be kind to someone that maybe is having a bad day. Something I've learned at work lately, I kind of struggled with difficult patients through a lot of my career, but I'm in therapy now. So that's helping. Um, And I've learned that a lot of the times that patients are acting out, it's not there. First of all, they're not having a good day. It's not their best, but there's a lot more going on. It's like an iceberg. There's so much I don't see. And just not to take it personally. That is one of the core agreements. And try and be be kind and supportive and make sure all their needs are met. Like start at the basics. Do you need water? Do you need food? Are you hungry? Are you in pain? You know, like, and if that doesn't change, give them some space and go back and try again. Like I've learned a lot of coping mechanisms at work that I think I could start applying in the real world as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long have you been in nursing? November, it will be 17 years since I started at my current job. And I graduated and went to that job. So 17 years. And you were a single mom when you went through um, nursing school and put yourself through that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Single mom of three at the time. One with a heart condition. That was was, that he was six months or five. So not very old when I started it. Six, six months or eight months when I started nursing school. Wow. Yeah. How old was he when he had his stroke? Uh, two and a half months, just about. Yeah, that was when he 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 needed his open heart surgery. He got into a little trouble. Like there was a temporary fix done at birth, and it kind of failed at that point, and he became critical very quickly. And so because of that, I think I'm not. They're not a hundred percent sure what happened, but with the heart, like his O2 stats were way too low, so. He suffered a stroke at some point during that critical moment, and he was pretty sick. He was in the Edmonton Hospital, the Stollery, for a month. And he came back here, and he was here at the Children's for, I believe, a month and a half, month and a bit. Like, he went at the end of March, and he didn't come home till middle of May, I believe. Yeah, middle of May. May 15th, I think, which is my husband's birthday. <laughs> but. So- Did did that interaction with um, your son and all of the different elements, like, were you sitting on the fence about nursing up until that point? And then, you know, the baby gets better and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm inspired by what these people did for me and this is it. I was already in school at Bow Valley in their upgrading program to, well, when I started the Bow, it's funny because I did that for two and a half years upgrading, I think. And when I did sign up to start doing it, because I had been in an abusive relationship. So I left that partner and he was the father of those three children and went into a shelter and then went on social assistance. But once your kids, your youngest baby is six months old, you have to figure something out. So you either go back to work or they help you get back into school. Well, I decided to go back into school and I was going to be a teacher. (laughs) I wanted to be a teacher. Partway through that upgrading, I went, I don't think I want to be a teacher. And this was before I had Ken and he wasn't born born yet. So I didn't know I had a sick child. I just had a friend who was an RN and she was in town a lot because she worked with pharmaceutical companies. So I got to see her and my grades were really good upgrading. I'm like, 
if I think, you know, Tracy, my friend Tracy inspired me and I'm like, I could do that. I think I, I would rather, and a nurse was a childhood dream that I kind of forgot about. I wanted to be an art and English teacher, but I don't think I, I don't, as much as I love to paint, I think that needs to be my hobby, not my job, you know? So then I went, I just changed my goal and it wasn't that hard. Courses were similar that I was needing. Made it actually, I think it shortened my upgrading process actually, because I had most of what I needed. So anyhow, yeah, I decided then while I was probably pregnant with Cannon, that I wanted to be a nurse. I think I was pregnant with him, but because I was pregnant while I was going to school. And then he was born right between my last two semesters. So I was able to still keep going with my upgrading. And I kept doing that despite his him being so sick. But he was, my mom was there helping me, thankfully. So she was home with him while I was at school and my other kids were in daycare. Wow. But yeah, I got through it all. And then I went and did nursing. So no, I had already changed my course, course of action or path. But I wonder if it was because he was sick. Like, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure I decided when I was pregnant with him that I decided for, it was towards the end of my upgrading that I decided I don't want to be a teacher. I don't regret it. You, I mean, even through the pandemic, and that's been tough on all on all healthcare workers and frontline workers it's been but thankfully where I have worked it hasn't been as bad like we haven't we've had outbreaks and stuff but it it's more now now that healthcare people we have nobody to work it's more now that that uh people aren't coming back to nursing or people are sick people have long covid we just have such a problem with staffing. Now it's taking its toll on, on a lot of where I work. Because yeah, you're in long, long-term care. No, I'm, it, it's, no, it's oh. in between that. So it's like rehab, it's RCTP. So we rehab them. So typically what we see is hip surgeries, knee surgeries, a little bit el- more elderly, more geriatric, but they're, we're, they're not sick enough to need the hospital anymore but they require physiotherapy still and and get, to get them back mobile or we're the ones that have to determine you can't go home. You have to look at some sort of care. So, yeah. So that's what we do, but I like it because it's a lot of happy stories. I get to see people get better and go home. I don't see very much death and I think that's good for me because yeah. I, yeah, I very rarely, if at all, our people get better or if they do take a turn for the worst, they do go back to hospital. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I love what I do. And I think that's why, because I've heard the average nursing career last 10 years in certain aspects of it, right? It gets rough. And I'm like, I think that's why I've stuck it out so long is it's mostly happy stories. I get to see them get better and go home to their families, you know? That's pretty powerful. Yeah. So if you were, I mean, like we we traveled across so many different landscapes here during the the past hour together. Yeah. If you were to offer our listeners um, one piece of advice in terms of resiliency, advocacy, um, and showing up for the community or your children, what would that be? You got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of others. I know that's that cheesy thing. Make sure you've filled your cup up. And then fill from others. It's one thing I've learned. I didn't always follow that, but I do now. That is powerful. Fill your own cup. And it's, yeah, that whole attitude of put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. 
you, you got to take care of yourself so that you are strong enough and capable to help care for everyone around you. That's and if you need a break, don't be, don't be ashamed to take care of yourself and step back and do self-care and get help if you need help. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Diane, this has been so wonderful. I, I always enjoy a good catch up and a coffee with you. Um, I'm sure we could talk for hours if we really, <laughs> if we really wanted to. I, I just really want to thank you for, for your contributions to our community, to raising conscientious children, to being a great Gigi, to being wow. a great friend, and for being the voice that some people don't have. It's been our absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed it. Now I'm a little awkward. <laughs> like, You're fine. You're fine. fine. <laughs> if our listeners want to get in touch with you. How can they go ahead, go about doing that? Oh boy. <laughs> like, well, I have an Instagram. Like there's the devious soul. That's my drag queen. Or I'm the devious witch. I also identify as a witch, which we didn't really touch on there, but that's another, that's a whole other story. Um, or else I'm on Twitter as die girl, just die D I E girl. Awesome. Haven't been on Twitter as much lately, but I do read and check messages and I do go on and I just don't post much. Excellent. Well, we'll we'll post your handles in the show notes and people, if they want to get in touch with you, follow you, join your journey. Um, help amplify your voice, uh, we will make sure that they can get in touch with you. Thank you. Wonderful. And Pocket Change listeners, thank you. Thank you for joining us and spending this hour with us. It is our pleasure to always have you spend time with us. And as usual, if there is content you'd like to see us feature, anybody that you'd like to see us speak with, reach out. A call doesn't cost a thing. <laughs>